This is Melanie Hamilton Bassich, Chief Editor of Rehab Management and Physical Therapy Products. For today's podcast episode, I'm joined by Karen Danchowski, PT, DPT, who has been practicing physical therapy for 25 years and has a special interest in mindful movement. We'll be talking about how incorporating Qigong and other types of mindful movement practice into physical therapy can benefit both patients and therapists. Thank you for being here today, Karen. I know you've been practicing Qigong, which is a form of mindful movement similar to Tai Chi for many years, and you've written a series of articles about your practice for us, but many people still might not be familiar with mindful movement, or they might question whether it provides legitimate health benefits. With that in mind, how would you describe mindful movement, and what place does it have in modern healthcare and physical therapy treatment? Well, mindful movement is actually an exercise modality, and it has some components to it that sort of tie all mindful movement practices together. So whether you're talking about Tai Chi, Qigong, yoga, um, and then there's other types as well, such as Pilates, some people may have heard of the Feldenkrais method, the Alexander method, and we can kind of think of many of these practices as falling under the umbrella of mindful movement. So what does that mean? So the three main components that tie these modalities together is number one, there is a focus on body awareness. So that might mean the quality of your movement, the direction of your movement, how your body is moving in space, but it also can mean more internal awareness. And there's a word here that they use called interoception. And that is the awareness of changes that are happening with our breath, uh, maybe our heartbeat. And so turning inward and being more aware um, of what is happening inside the body um, as we are, you know, as we are doing the exercise. Number two is intention. So mindful movement practices have an intention to movement. So we're not just going through an exercise just to get it done. We are rather um, finding a purpose in the movement. And sometimes that can be a mental thing. It could be like an imagery thing. So we could be thinking about moving gently, um, floating our arms up like as light as feathers, or we can think about moving powerfully in the legs. And, you know, as though we are pushing, you know, pushing up a mountain, for example, um, often, and, and I actually do Qigong. So most of, um, you know, even though I've mentioned that mindful movement encompasses uh, several different modalities, I personally practice Qigong. So I can speak more specifically uh, to that as we go forward. But in Qigong, um, a lot of the mental imagery is around nature and animals. So we can imagine how, you know, how it might feel to flow like water or how it might feel to, to move like a tiger or a bird, for example. So moving with intention. Um, and number three is a focus on deep, slow, diaphragmatic breathing. Okay. So just to recap, the three main uh, components that really tie mindful movement practices together are number one, body awareness, number two, an intention, and number three, a focus on the breath. And what happens is there's there is a goal that we have in mind when we are um, doing these practices, and that is to practice with a calm and focused mind 
again, to become aware of the sensations in our body. And ultimately, this allows us to enter into a flow state. Okay, so and and it's been shown through research that this this um, flow state or this uh, state where the mind is calm yet focused um, really provides a, um, a a good place for healing. Okay, and so that's where my my love of doing qigong with physical therapy patients comes in because I'm using it truly as a healing practice for my patients. I'm glad you bring that up because, you know, there are probably some people out there who are thinking, oh, you know, is this real? But as you say, research shows that it can be very helpful for so many things, including healing. Yeah, exactly. And I was actually really surprised to learn that there are thousands, thousands upon thousands of abstracts um, that are um, deal with uh, studies that look at mindful movement and the benefits that they have in healing. Um, there is the Qigong Institute that put out a report in 2022 that was like a curated collection of research studies. And it's really a wonderful document because you can go and kind of pick and choose what ones you're interested in looking at. And, and what, uh, what is interesting is that it's not so much uh, the specific modality or the specific exercise, like how many times did you do it and what exactly did you do, you know, with the patient. It, it's more just looking at what ties all these modalities together, which is, again, focusing the mind and paying attention to the breath and moving with intention. Um so you had you were asking about modern medicine and where this all fits in. So right. it really it really has um, pervaded. I guess that's the word um, modern Western healthcare. So um, the VA, for example, has a whole program called Whole Person Health, where they are focusing on um, much more than just like the physical problem with the patient, um, but rather including you know mental health and you know psychological, emotional, even spiritual um, components to a person's well-being, and they specifically recommend things like Tai Chi and Qigong and yoga as part of health. The Harvard Medical School also um, is a good proponent of, of doing Tai Chi um, for health. Um, the uh, American College of Sports Medicine um, clearly defines exercise as medicine. So moving our bodies and specifically Tai Chi and other mindful movement practices as being beneficial. So when you really look at um, some, you know, these big institutions, and I think it's it's not hard to find, um, even if you go into large healthcare systems throughout the country. Um, if you, you know, wherever you live, you know, check out what what like newsletters and what you know your large institutions are are recommending. And it's I, I bet you're going to find recommendations to do some mindful movement. Right, and I think that has changed in recent years. That it's become even more accepted. It seems. Right, right. And I guess, too, I just want to point out, you know, the biopsychosocial model of healthcare is really the current um, model that we as healthcare providers, um, you know, use, right? So we've really gone away from this idea that we're just treating a physical problem. And we're really including all these other dimensions into how we treat the patient. So I already mentioned a little bit about the mental and emotional, psychological wellness. 
but there is also a spiritual component. Um, there's also relationships. So like how your patients are relating to you as a provider, um, you know, belief systems. So there's all these things outside of just like the injury um, or the person's illness that really can help define whether or not they are healthy or whether their quality of life or you know how they perceive their health to be. So we are really starting to look at more than just pills, right? More than just medicine. And, and, and this is a type of exercise that can be really helpful. So there are many aspects to mindful movement as you were talking about. What was it that really drew you to Qigong and the practice of mindful movement in general? Sure. Um, well, if I really look back, I would say I I was a dancer. I was not a professional dancer, but I danced all throughout my childhood and into college. And so the, the idea of moving to express emotion or intention always spoke to me. And, um, you know, Qigong and Tai Chi feels a lot like choreography to me, right, as a dancer. So even though we don't practice these things for the purpose of looking good, I want to just uh, emphasize that it's really about how we're feeling on the inside and the meditative component. <laughs> I am, I will not lie to you, I am drawn to the beauty of it and moving your body in such like dynamic uh, ways. Um, I also have always just been interested in like alternative forms of healthcare. So I did some reading on traditional Chinese medicine, and I found a book called Walking the Way, um, written by Robert Rosenbaum, who is a uh, psychotherapist. He's a Zen Buddhist and a Qigong instructor. And it was a beautiful book where he was recounting um, uh, poems from the Tao Te Ching, 81 poems. And I was really moved by it. And, and lo and behold, I discovered he was teaching a week-long retreat um, on Qigong and at a place that was just, you know, a couple hours from my house. And I decided to go. And that was like my first introduction to, to Qigong, right? Like learning movements. And honestly, I was more excited on learning about it, uh, like how Qigong can help my patients even more so than myself, because I immediately saw how movements were could be broken down into like simple chunks or simple exercises. They could be linked together in, in small routines. They required like very little space, no equipment. There's like no cost, like, and it could really help a wide variety of patients. So I think I was just kind of drawn, drawn to that, those two things. The fact that it's a beautiful art, um, form i feel like and it and it is used to enhance health so it was like kind of combining my two loves right like moving with physical therapy and helping patients um you know and then from there i you know i found an online community um that i still take classes with and and attend lectures and um and so i'm still you know i still do it and i still teach it with my patients so how do you use Qigong in your work? Can you share some more specifics about how it is helpful to your patients? So as a therapist, I typically divide my time um, between like manual work and exercise. So I'm, I work in a hands-on uh, manual clinic that really focuses on pain management. So I um, usually do some sort of manual work. And then honestly, I often do traditional PT exercises. So I just want to be clear about that, that I, it's not like I've, you know, um, 
you know, close the door on, on everything I've learned about PT and I just do Qigong. That's ridiculous. Like I don't do that. But what I have found is that Qigong has really reached certain patient populations. And so I have one patient, she has dermatomyositis, which is like a systemic um, autoimmune disease. It attacks uh, the muscles and the skin. And she has repetitively told me that traditional PT exercises don't work for her. And so I do Qigong with her. So I've taught her a lot of different routines. And she says that the uh, meditative component really helps her pain. The fluidity of the movement really helps her pain. The fact that there's a lot of attention to breathing um, really helps. So I think like chronic pain syndromes um, can do really well uh, with this sort of thing. Uh, just a couple other examples. Um, <clears throat> uh, patients nearing the end of their rehab. Like I had a shoulder patient who had been coming to me for a while. I think she was a shoulder replacement. And she was almost done with PT. And she asked me, Karen, don't, do you have anything new? Do you have anything kind of fun and different? Just, you know, I've been doing the same exercises for a while now. And so Qigong has given me more tools, right? It's like more repertoire in your, you know, in your toolbox. So I said, sure, I'll show you some new stuff, right? So like certain arm movements, um, yes, it's a shoulder patient, but certain arm movements incorporate like forearm and hand twisting and, and things like that. And so I showed her some things that were new and different. Um, let me just throw out a couple more at you. Um, elderly patients sure. with dementia. Um, I'm not sure this is kind of just my opinion. So I, I mean, I, I'm not, I can't tell you that this is like, you know, proven, but I feel like when I do a Qigong routine with a patient like that, I'm incorporating a lot of things that challenge them. So getting them up in standing, building their stamina, um, challenging their coordination, because a lot of movements, you have to move the arm with the leg or you're twisting the body while you're weight shifting to one side. And it's also challenging their focus because they have to really pay attention. So I use it with that. Um, balance, any, any diagnosis that has... A, a you know balance component to it. Um, a lot of exercises work on weight shifting, um, so that you know right. single leg stance exercises, and um, finally like arthritis patients. So there are a lot of warm up routines um, where you're doing either like hip circles or back circles, and um, you know some of these things may have funny names to them, but really when you when you sort of boil them down to their components you're moving the body in ways that PT, PTs really can understand, right? Whether it's like a circular movement with the hip or you're flexing or extending, you know, bending the knees, you know, reaching up and extending the shoulders. Like, so, um, you know, anything, any uh, arthritis patient, I think, can, can have fun with some of these uh, movements. Right. It sounds like it can be great for engaging certain patients who are looking for something additional, something more, something different yes. to complement what you're already doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say this though, like I wouldn't say that this is awesome for like every single patient you have and you should just like force it on everyone. Like, of course not. Right. Like you will know as a therapist, I think therapists are excellent at reading people's emotions and energy levels and where kind of meeting patients where they're at. I think that's one of our strengths as therapists. So, you know, like there are going to be some patients that just, they don't have the 
the patience for this, right? Because it does require right. a certain level of stillness, a certain level of slowness and patience to really like get into your body and feel what's going on. And there are some people that have just no time for that. And and that's that's just right. the reality. And that's okay. Um, but you'll, you know, you'll know who those patients are and 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 who really loves it. So what are the benefits that therapists can get out of practicing mindful movement themselves? Well, I think that's that's kind of um, that's a good question, and and honestly, it's the same as what your patients can get out of it. Because I often do the exercises with my patients, so I'm leading them through a routine, or I'm demonstrating the routine, and you know, I kind of get into it with them. So, you know, I'm I'm benefiting right alongside uh, with them, and so I think that that's good, and I think that also learning just a whole new set of cues. Um, we didn't really get into that too much yet. I don't know if we will, but there's lots of ways that we can practice Qigong with our patients. So I don't know if it's okay if I could just jump into that um, now, but sure. and I'll, okay, great. I'll, I'll kind of go through them you know, relatively quickly, but I think this is important because therapists can really kind of sink their teeth into, into how they can use Qigong with their patients with this. So you can practice on like six or seven different levels. And honestly, I kind of just do the first three levels with my patients um, or actually the first four. So the first one is physical. There's just the physical level. We're just moving. So think of it as I'm stretching my muscles. I'm moving my joints. I'm bending. I'm going, moving this way or that way. And a lot of the Qigong exercises are very repetitive. So once you learn the routine, it kind of gets like ingrained in your mind and in your body. And, and you're just sort of showing the patients how to move and it's very physical. The second level is more, um, well, actually there's a second level that is kind of considered physical and that is the like the elasticity um, level where you're getting into a little more of a stretch, feeling the sort of the end ranges of your tissues. And in fact, there's a type of Qigong um, called muscle tendon changing. Um, that is, that's actually the, um, the name of it. And so it feels very much like neural tension uh, principles. So therapists um, are aware of different like, um, like neural tension exercises. So that's what this type of Qigong feels like. So you can practice on that level. Um, third is the mental level, which is where we're getting more into um, imagery, um, which, which um, is fun and also just changing like the quality of how you move. And I think, you know, I already mentioned that that can be cues about moving in a powerful way, um, in a gentle way, um, you know, things like, you know, relating it to different animals and nature can really get the patient to feel sort of the quality of the movement. Um, and then there's also cues for um, direction of movement, which um, is nice because it, it allows the therapist to think about moving in, in several different ways, like up and down, in and out. And so in and out has like a, in has a compressive kind of feeling and out has an expansive or expansion kind of um, feeling. Okay. Um, there's also uh, like turning, which is like rotation movements. There's circling, which is like literally just creating the shape of a circle. There's also spiraling movements, which are kind of multi-directional movements. So when you start to learn these different cues, um, it kind of opens up a whole new world for you on like how you can um, 
cue, you know, cue your patients. But I just want to just quickly go back. So we were just talking quickly about the levels, right? So we talked about the physical level, the elastic level, the mental level. And I do want to mention just one more level, which is the level of energy, okay, or chi. So people may not know, well, what the heck is qigong? What does that even mean? So okay. in traditional Chinese medicine, qi is means energy. So qigong, um, it's spelled Q-I and then the word G-O-N-G means energy work or just the moving of energy through the body. So this fourth level is practicing more at that energetic level. And once you learn the physical, like, components of the movement. You can get into more like the feeling of the movement. And so sometimes that can feel like tingling. Some people will say, oh, I feel like a warmth sensation in my body, or I feel a little bit of tingling in my hand, and or I feel a release of muscle tension. So we've all had patients talk about feeling those things from time to time. And so according to Qigong, or according to traditional Chinese medicine, this is actually the feeling of qi or, or a greater flow of energy. Um, through the body. And then the last two levels, which I honestly, I do not really get into at all with my patients, um, but patients can certainly like move on and do the, these levels on their own would be more of like a spiritual level, which again, yes, that is definitely part of health and wellness. But as a PT, it's a little bit out of my realm of, of my personal focus. And then the last level is emptiness, which is really like a high level skill, if you will, of learning to, to really meditate on really like um, just the feeling of, of emptiness. So I'm not even going to really get into all that, but that would be for people that are interested. It's interesting. It's, it's kind of like an advanced, more advanced uh, way to practice. For people who are interested, do you have advice for physical therapists and rehab professionals looking to get started practicing mindful movement? Are there any specific resources you suggest? Sure, sure. So first of all, we have at our fingertips so many resources, right? Like you can... Um, you know, online, you can find a whole bunch of websites and people that are um, offering classes online. Um, sometimes, you know, YouTube videos, you can look for lots of free stuff. And sometimes you'll find something that really interests you and you might be able to become a member of, of like an online community. Um, for example, I'm a member of Qigong for Vitality, which is um, founded by a man named Jeffrey Chant. He actually lives in British Columbia. Um, but I, I love his work and he um, offers monthly lectures and we talk about different like Qigong topics. There's a forum so you can meet other people practicing. And it's funny, whenever they people find out you're a physical therapist, they get like super excited, like, oh, like, can you, you know, help? What, which what exercise should I practice for arthritis? And what should I do to cure <laughs> my frozen shoulder? And so I, I really want to emphasize, um, since I know this is a, a PT audience and, and probably an OT audience as well, is that you really do have the foundation. Um, if you're interested, to incorporate this sort of um, practice into into your life and into your professional career and into helping your patients. Um, so in addition to like websites, um, you can probably find in your community, right? Adult education classes. I've done that. I've I found different like people offering Tai Chi or Qigong. Um, you can, there are retreat centers around the country. I live in the Northeast. Um, so in Massachusetts, there is a wonderful um 
retreat. Um, it's called Kripalu. Now it is much more heavily yoga based, but that is actually where I got my start with Qigong. Um, so I'm sure there's places all over the country that you would be able to find. Um, I want to just emphasize that there really are no standards for certification currently. So I don't want therapists to feel like they have to be experts to start teaching this sort of thing with their patients, um, because it's not true. You don't have to be an expert. Um, like I said, you have the foundation to start, right? You, you understand the body, you understand movement, you understand posture, you understand balance, right? So this is just providing you like a new set of tools, a new set of routines that are very dynamic. They incorporate whole body movements. They incorporate relaxation. They incorporate meditation. And they can really help, you know, help your patients in their healing process. So, um, you know, you could pursue a certification. They do exist. For example, the National Qigong Association um, will give a certification out if you have a certain amount of hours. And maybe, that appeals to you if you wanted to maybe round out your bio or your resume, but don't feel that, you know, you don't, shouldn't feel like you have to be an expert uh, to start using it. Um, so again, I just want to, um, well, I should say this one last thing about that. Although you can start learning things and teaching them, in my opinion, relatively quickly, of course, the more engaged you become in, in the practice, the more you study, the more you do it yourself, you will become more authentic, of course, right? Like, so, but that's up to you how, how deep you want to go into it. And likewise, you'll find your patients might be different. Like some patients might be okay with just practicing on that very physical level. And some might be very curious and want to go deeper. So there's lots of things out there for you to, you know, find a teacher locally, online, et cetera. It seems like it's also very adaptable that depending on what you want to use, what your patients are interested in using, what they could benefit from, it could be adapted to people of all ability levels. Oh, yes. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Of course. Yes, absolutely. So um, because if we go back again to the, the principles, the principles of this practice, right, of being just um, focused, you know, intentional movement and breathing, you can adapt the actual physical movement to really any position. So even, you know, bed bound patients, believe it or not, could could engage in some type of qigong, right? Whether it be, you know, um, extending the legs in the bed, stretching through the toes, paying attention to the breath. Um, it can be done sitting, standing. Absolutely. You can adapt to any, any um, type of disability or injury. And that's where I think physical therapists are also have a lot of strength is because is uh, being creative, right? And so this offers a lot of creativity. So it can definitely be used for various, um, yeah, definitely a lot of patients. Um, actually, Melanie, I wanted to just mention one key thing, just going back to the research, um, because I, there's a concept called the relaxation response. Is it okay if I just mention that quickly? Yeah, please enlighten us. Okay, good, okay. good. Um, Right. So um, there is something called the relaxation response. And a lot of the research really focuses on, on the relaxation response being what is, it, 
is helping our patients um, in their healing and their perception of their wellness and their, you know, their quality of life and their pain level, et cetera. And what that is, is therapists are very aware of the autonomic nervous system. We have like sympathetic nervous system, parasympathetic nervous system, the, the, uh, former being like the fight or flight response and the latter being more of what we call like rest and digest. So right. there is a theory called polyvagal theory, which is talked, and this is my understanding of it. So not an expert in this, but this is my understanding is that polyvagal theory talks about us being in various states of dominance. So it's not really like a seesaw. It's not like, oh, when our sympathetic goes up, our parasympathetic goes down and vice versa. But rather, we have sort of a dominant state. And what mindful movement does is it puts us into a ventral vagal state or a dominant ventral vagal state. So the parasympathetic system, again, is more of like the rest and digest system, right? But we don't want to be practicing in such a relaxed state that we're near falling asleep, right? Like we, <laughs> right. it's not about being so relaxed that we like are so zoned out. That is so not what we're aiming for, right? So right. the that is considered more a dorsal uh, vagal state. So the ventral vagal state is where we have uh, uh, the perfect balance, if you will, of sympathetic and parasympathetic sympathetic activity where we're calm yet relaxed, where, you know, where, you know, we're focused and yet we're not, you know, we're not amped up. And this is the optimal state of healing. And so that's where if we can be functioning in this ventral vagal state where we have what's called the relaxation response. Um, we are just in a better um, state for healing our bodies. And there is a lot of research that mindful movement practices help a lot of different diagnoses. So this is not just, you know, speculative, but rather um, studies that show it builds bone density. Okay, that seems clear because a lot of Qigong is done in the standing uh, weight-bearing position. Um, it can help like MS, uh, CVA, um, Parkinson's, falls. It's been shown to reduce fall risk. So I think that's an important takeaway from this for therapists who work with patients who are at risk for falls. Um, it lowers anxiety. It lowers depression. It can improve mood. It can improve um, sleep. Um, what else? It can be used for cancer care, help hypertension, right? Lower blood pressure, lower heart rate, um, osteoporosis, again, because there's a lot of weight bearing in it, um, arthritis we already talked about. So um, yeah, there, it's there's research out there that shows that it can work on, on a lot of these different, um, you know, different conditions. And, and, and not to repeat myself, but just, again, the relaxation response is a big component of, of where that healing is coming from. Right. Why it's beneficial. All right. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on that you wanted to share with physical therapists and occupational therapists that you think they could use in their work? I, I guess just to make sure that 
I do understand that there are limitations that we have as therapists in time and how much time we can spend with a patient. I don't want people to think I lead this like glorious, like work life where I can just like do Qigong for an hour with every patient. And like, I'm just, you know, (laughs) that is not true. That is not realistic. I just want to um, be honest about that. Like, so I have a lot of enthusiasm with it, but I, like I said, I don't use it with everyone, but I use it when I can. So for example, I, my patient I mentioned before with dermatomyositis, she is my last patient of the evening. So guess what? <laughs> I have time. I have a little extra time with her and she's extremely grateful and it builds, I believe, the, the patient therapist relationship. I think that, um, you know, that relationship that our patients have with us is very important. That's going back to the biopsychosocial model, right? Like how our patients perceive the people that are helping them. So I think it really strengthens the bond when you can do kind of new and different things um, for them. So I, I, I also do home care um, where I do have one-on-one um uninterrupted time. Okay. So it's also a bit easier for me to do Qigong with patients in the home setting. Okay. Because it's just me and the patient. So again, I I pick and choose who I, who and when I can use it for. Um, If I get you know, if I have a very busy day in outpatient, but suddenly I get a few cancellations and I just happen to have the perfect patient, right? Comes in, I have, you know, a little block of time after um, they say, okay, Karen, my back's really bothering me today. Can you show me any new stretches? I, I say, oh, okay, like, let me show you something new. Let's get off the table and let's try a few new things. And and it just, you know, gives me new, new stuff to do. Um, I do want to just mention what we talked already talked a lot about cueing and how Qigong can offer a lot of um, new and different cues for your patients. So if I can just throw out just a couple more, because maybe it'll be helpful to pay, to therapists that are not real sure what exactly this is all about. Yes. Um, we already, t- yeah, we already, we already talked about how it can be very adapted, right? adapted to different positions and different disabilities. Um, you can really cue the breath in the movements. So often the breath can be cued in like a, like for slow diaphragmatic breathing, but it can also be cued just to be natural. So you can teach the movement and just say, just breathe naturally, or you can coordinate the breath. So now suddenly you're bringing that mindfulness and that focus to the breath. And you can say, you know, when we stand up and we lift our arms, we're taking a breath in. And when we squat down and lower our arms, we're exhaling. So we can cue the breath in different ways. Um, It's important to remind patients that they're unique and that they bring with them to each Qigong um, routine, like their own injuries and their own sort of problems, their own like asymmetries. And the focus really is on how it feels and not how it looks. Because some of the movements can maybe you could you could call them a little complicated some of them and it's important that patients know it's it's not about how good they look doing it i bet that's helpful to therapists as well <laughs> to think of it that way yeah and exactly yeah don't it's it's not about that because you're going to get a patient maybe with a scoliosis and one arm you know doesn't go up as high as the other or they can only balance on one side and the other side they're not so good at so there's going to be all kinds of like um asymmetries to it 
Um, a couple more things to mention. Number of repetitions and how long you do it for, there's no right or wrong. So it can vary even from one session to the next. So patients can come to a session with a lot of energy and maybe they feel like they can do a movement more vigorously, or they might come to the session um, feeling you know, low energy, and maybe they need to just not, you know, not use as much energy in the movement. And it can change from day to day and session to session. So I give a lot of Qigong as a home exercise program. And I definitely tell that to patients. It's not about doing it three sets of 10. It could be do it for do it for one minute, or do it for 10 minutes, do it for a half hour, right? Like it's it you and it's really <laughs> cool when you start to see patients um, figure out what feels good and what what doesn't. And um, I guess lastly would just be this concept of effortless effort. So there's definitely this concept in Qigong where you're cueing patients to use about seventy percent of effort. Um, that number is not like you know, strictly written somewhere. It's just kind of what I've heard tossed around. But it's this idea of not not using so much effort that you are exhausted. Like you need to practice and do your exercise in such a way that you leave some room for this like self-exploration and this Remember, we talked about this, like what was called interoception or this awareness of changes in our body. So we we want to work and exercise in such a way that we can tune into some of those changes and that we don't feel um, exhausted. Right. So it's, this is not like a power workout. Right. It's really like a 70 percent. That's like that's a nice way I, I I think of it or I call it effortless effort. Um, right. Another way I think of it is using just enough tension to hold a posture or to move through a posture um, without um, like at the same time being able to let go of unnecessary tension. So again, I'm throwing out at you all these different cues and all these different ways of thinking about movement. Um, and so the more you learn, the more you get comfortable with it. And and it's uh, it's been fun. It's kept me less bored. I will tell you, I will tell you, I, I don't know, you know, I, I I can't speak for everyone, but you know, after 25 years, I still love what I do, and I still go back to the basics, and I still I'm a you know I'm still doing you know range of motion exercises and, and rehabilitating patients um, in in ways that I always have, right? It's just that sometimes it can get a little stale, and and learning these types of modalities just brings in a beautiful. Um, like another way to move and patients are usually very appreciative and they're really excited and they think it's so cool because it's something new and um keeps them motivated mm -hmm. and it keeps you mo it keeps me motivated as a therapist so that's the mm -hmm. biggest thing i want to just sort of impart on on those listening that it can be fun and not to be scared of it because you could start doing it right away to be honest and just learn one thing and teach it to your patients all right well thank you so much for sharing your insights with us karen Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you to our listeners. For more about mindful movement and physical therapy, you can find Karen Danchowski's series of articles about mindful movement on the Rehab Management website, rehabpub.com, along with other great content. And check out our content on the Physical Therapy Products website, ptproductsonline.com. Also be on the lookout for more podcast episodes from Physical Therapy Products and Rehab Management, wherever you listen to podcasts.